AG Camus interview aims to inspire, motivate, enlighten, and of course educate the youth of today for the days of tomorrow. As election fever um, grips the United Kingdom um, for what has been hailed as um, well, the biggest election in our lifetimes, um, I've, I've seen it portrayed as for the youth, certainly. Um, we're here this evening with, with Stuart MacDonald. Stuart, can you give a wee bit of background as to who you are? Okay, uh, my name's Stuart MacDonald. I have been the MP for Common Old Coalsyth and Kirkintilla East since 2015. Obviously with an election now called, I'm no longer an MP, but I am uh, standing for election again and, and hope that on the 12th of December I'll, I'll get the chance to continue representing this constituency. Uh, before that, uh, I was involved in politics uh, in the Yes campaign during the independence referendum and before that working in the Scottish Parliament. I was a solicitor to trade before that uh, and that's pretty much my career in a nutshell so far. Right. Thank you very much for that, Stuart, and thank you very much for being with us no, and for pleasure. joining us. I appreciate it. How are you feeling ahead of the 12th? Um, currently, I'm feeling quite tired. We've had a, a day out leafleting and, and knocking doors, uh, but it's been good. The response so far has been quite encouraging. Uh, so you know, we've got just over two weeks to go. It'll be hard work, uh, but so far enjoying it and uh, you know, keeping my fingers crossed for a, a good result on the 12th. And you'll be hoping, obviously, that this will be the last time you'll be going down to Westminster, the last Parliament... Uh, yes, obviously being a, a, an SNP politician, my ambition is for Scotland to be an independent country and uh, an independent country within the European Union. So yes, if, if this is the last time that we am sent down to, to Westminster uh, because we become an independent country, then obviously I'll be a very happy man to be out of job. Yeah, you will be out of job. What would that, what would that, so just for the for the, the youngsters out here um, and for the youngsters out there listening to this and for their, their parents as well maybe, what would happen if then if Scotland, have you thought that far ahead? So Scotland becomes independent, would you be at a job? Yeah, obviously Scotland would no longer send MPs to, to, to Westminster. There would be a period of transition, obviously, after, say, Scotland votes for independence, um, where we would still need to, to send MPs down, down to, to London. Um, but after that, then obviously we're going to be fully independent, so we, we'll have our own, the, the Scottish Parliament will, will take all the remaining powers that it doesn't have over from, from Westminster, uh, and there'll be no longer any need for, for MPs. So I dare say some would want to think about standing for the independent parliament, uh, but others will quite happily go back to um, other careers and or just find something new to do altogether. Any interesting trivia about Westminster? I've uh, heard, I've, I know a few bits and bobs... I do a fact of the week every week for Edgy Cameras to grow the brand. Uh-huh. So every Friday I'll put up a fact of the week. Sure. For um, on my Snapchat, Instagram, and so on. One of them one week was about the Three Ravens at Tower Bridge. I don't know if you knew that one. No, I did not. The three Ravens are always got to be kept at Tower Bridge. Oh right, okay. No, and I did not. Or else the kingdom will fall. It's an old based on an old poem. Right, okay. It's a bit no superstitious, idea, but yeah, three sure. three ravens. Any any trivia? Do you know any yourself from Westminster, from or do you just get in and get out? Uh, generally, get in and. And get back out again but Westminster is a, a place I mean it's a fascinating place it's always got uh, a, an amazing history as as well um, Some I would say that it's perhaps a little bit stuck in the past in terms of some of its uh, procedures we have all sorts of, uh, sort of strange rituals we start the day uh, with, with with prayers um, oh really? At, yeah we start the day with prayers and you've got doorkeepers you've got um some of the the sort of rules and procedures I think are, are very strange probably the strangest of all and the one that we get annoyed with and most frustrated with is how we vote because you'd think in, in most modern parliaments these days you would 
uh, sit and press a button in that bit and, and then, you know, that's how it works in the Scottish Parliament in most places but at Westminster we do it by a division so if there's a vote on something and you want to vote in favour of the proposition you have to march out the chamber into one division lobby which is a room next to the, the, the chamber and if you want to vote against it you go into a separate lobby and then you walk through in single file and you get counted head counted and the whole process takes 15 minutes so if you've got four things to vote on you've wasted an hour essentially in something that would take five minutes in the Scottish D- digitally yeah. or d- does the scottish parliament use technology yes and if you're in the scottish parliament or i think most parliaments you press a button and you'd know the result within sort of a minute uh, whereas we have to wait 15 minutes uh, i mean some of the, the historic votes, I dare say, it builds attention, and and uh, you know, for the TV audience, it might be interesting. But I think one of my colleagues at one point had calculated how many days and weeks we'd spent voting, and it was just an absurd use of people's time. But uh, who's the most the most impressive politician, you know, at, at Westminster? I mean, uh, yeah. That's a very good question. Uh, I wish I'd thought about this before. Because I'd I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, a lot mm-hmm. of people would say now that at this current point in time, mm-hmm. there are not many, you know, in terms of a lot of trust has been eroded in politics and so mm-hmm. on, and there's not, not many. Yeah, so just who you would think. Well, I understand why, um, you know, politics is in a difficult place just now, but... What I hate is also the, the generalisations. You know, people tend to, to tar the, the whole of Parliament with, with, with the same brush. I think in, in every party there are very good folk and there are, are folk who you're not quite so fond of. Um, but, you know, I, I, all my colleagues think they, they're doing a great job um, fighting Scotland's corner. But in all the other parties there are a really uh, strong figure. So if you were to look at the Conservative Party, for example, you know, people like Dominic Grieve, albeit... There are lots of things I would fundamentally disagree with him on. On the issue of Europe, which is the big issue for this election, he absolutely stood uh, on a very principled uh, stance and I think um, really held the government to, to account and, and um, made really powerful arguments about why uh, Boris Johnson and Theresa May were just taking us in, in totally the wrong direction. Uh, similarly in the Labour Party, there are lots of uh, really powerful, thoughtful figures um, I work alongside Yvette Cooper in the Home Affairs Committee again I don't agree with her on, on everything at all but she's the way she holds uh, the government to account when the ministers come along they get really uh, tough scrutiny uh, you know, they're impressive people and they, they are genuinely doing what they're doing because they think that isn't the best interest of the country I don't always agree with them on that but I don't doubt their, their motivation for that Do um, do you ha- do you hang out? Do you hang about? After a session, after a de- once you've finished a parliament session, do you go for a drinking session? Sometimes, it's a strange existence. Most days of the week, you'll finish fairly late and you'll just head home. Uh, but every now and again, uh, yes, of course, um, you're away from home, uh, so it's, it's pretty natural just to head with colleagues uh, for a, a quick pint. Quite often there will actually be uh, social events being organised by charities or business groups or other lobbying organisations and uh, you know, you'll have a couple of glasses of wine there and maybe just finish with a, with a pint afterwards. So there is a fair degree of socialising as well, but not as much as I think uh, uh, sometimes the, sort of the, the gossip uh, suggests yeah. there might be the case. Uh, I mean, I can see why... Uh, you know, every now and again somebody gets caught in a sort of drinking culture in, 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 in Parliament and there have been well-publicised cases where you know people have developed drink problems but on the whole, I think most MPs are very, very hard-working and uh, you know, 
There's nothing wrong with a drink now and again. No, de- no definitely not. It's definitely not. Um, you were saying uh, just off, off, off air there, so to speak, about the... I mean, as hats off to you. You know, it's a hard hard job. How many doors... Uh, what's the, how many doors Cumberland, Coulsaith, Kirk and Telekeast? Across the whole constituency, you know, you're, you're talking not far short of 40,000. So... Uh, how many of them are you going to go knock on? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I don't know how many I knock on it, but every day, you know, we're doing a couple of conversation so hopefully between a sort of team of four or five we will knock in the best part of 100 200 or so lots of folk won't be in so we just leave a wee note saying yeah. that we're called but uh, every day we're trying to speak to as, as many folk as we can did i uh, talking about that fact of the week thing that i do mm-hmm. did you know as well Trevor, another fact of the week that uh cumberall coseth and kirk and telekeast is the longest constituency name in the uk hey uh, i did know that actually is uh, it right it has been uh, well i i think if you just add up the letters and even the sort of wee commas and, and so on in spaces that it, it makes that's, it the longest yeah, that's what I said. yeah there's, there's one or two who, that would dispute that uh <laughs> but it, it's always quite funny when you when you're having debates people are supposed to refer to you by as the member for uh, and I think there's quite a lot of MPs struggle to pronounce, uh, particularly Colesyth and Kirk and Tillerheast. But I can't complain because there are lots of constituencies I'd struggle to. to the, the Welsh ones, I can imagine. Yeah, uh, some of the Welsh ones and some of the English ones as well. Places I've not really heard of, I have to confess. But uh, you, so, what do you? Because you were saying about how archaic houses of parliament can sometimes be, I suppose. Uh-huh. So does that mean you need to learn every single person, or does that have you get a, have you get an idea of who's sitting where? Um. The way that works is usually if, if somebody's speaking, there'll be a, a screen which shows their constituency. Yeah, so, you can use screens, that. Yeah. Yeah. so you can sort of cheat that way. And if you don't know, you just say the honourable member uh, and you don't give the name of the constituency and folk will know who you're talking to. And hopefully the, the Hansard writers who have to note everything down, uh, they will just fill it in for you, basically. The, the person who does have to know everybody's constituency is a speaker. Uh, I, I have no idea how they manage it. Um, so that's 650? Yeah, 659? 650, yeah. Six hundred and fifty. That is mental. Isn't it? it is. It is. I struggle yeah. now to remember. I was saying, obviously, I do the, the English tuition. And whenever I'm tutoring the kids, I sometimes just think to myself, "How did I memorize?" You know, obviously, yes. I, I, I'm teaching study technique yeah. as well. But it's like yeah. I, I don't know if it's just as you get older, the old grey matter and whatever. But I, I find it harder to memorize. Things. I think that's absolutely true. And and just as an anecdote, for example, I, I remember you know a big football fan, so going to football games. I remember. 20 years ago, half-time quiz, used to love them. I could get all the answers just like that, no problem at all. These days, I can't remember who was playing for my team last week or no. two weeks ago, never mind. Uh, I can't remember. No, I can't remember yesterday. <laughs> um, I know what you mean with that. It's, um, it's even when I read it, because I do a lot of reading now, mm. because of social media and different yeah. bits, I try and read you know, an hour before bed, away from bright lights and whatever, but... I'll read and then I'm reading Jane Eyre just now for example sure. because I'm trying to go through the top 40 books to read before you die yeah. I called it The Independent so Jane Eyre's one of them but I'll like, like when I go back to bed when I go to bed tonight I can't mm-hmm. remember the chapter every what last happens? night I'm going, yeah. to, I'm going to go on to my phone and get the chapter somebody yeah quick click through refresh memory Men, but I, I don't know what, I don't know if that's maybe down to so much dependency on I don't know what it is but yeah. um, yeah. I don't know if you're you've obviously got to be diplomatic I don't know what you're going to tell us what team <laughs> uh, Dundee United. Oh, is it? So, aye. Aye, that's. I've did. Why did you get to Dundee United? 
I'm probably one of these sort of West Coast glory seekers because growing up in the 80s, obviously, Dunyard were a great side. I didn't really have that much of an interest in football when I was really young, but I remember being taken around, I was getting to a childminder, and essentially I was sat in front of a telly, and it was the first leg of the FA Cup final in 1987. Yeah, of so I just picked them off the TV, and, and, and that was me ever since. But I did get quite into it, and I was a season ticket holder for a good few years. Doing okay, that's top of the league? Yes, top of the league now, which is. Uh, you know, after the last three or four years of uh, real struggle to try and get back into the top flight, it's uh, good to have a, a wee advantage and hopefully we can see it through. But uh, see that for granted, yeah. Well, we don't want to get too off, off topic yeah, of the football. Sure. We could talk about football already, so let's get back to it. Why yeah. should Scotland be an independent country? Scotland should be an independent country because I think the best people to make decisions about Scotland's future are the folk who live here. Uh, you know, that's the argument that we put in a nutshell uh, day in and day out. And I just look around uh, the rest of Europe and I see lots of countries of a similar size to, to Scotland that are absolutely thriving as independent countries, whether it's Ireland or Denmark or, you know, lots of members of the EU have got populations of a similar size or smaller to Scotland and they, they choose their own future. And now more than ever, I think you can see uh, the effect of, of not being able to, to, to make these big decisions. We are about to be taken out of the EU depending on what happens this election, um, even though we overwhelmingly want to be part of it. So I say, you know, let's just do it. Let's let's be like all these other normal independent countries and, and, and make our own decisions. Um, what, regarding, just something that sprung to mind there, um, was it how long, regarding how long you've been in politics, um, mm-hmm. you've obviously, 2015 was when you won election to Westminster. Mm-hmm. You've been a lawyer before then. Mm-hmm. Did you hang up the the wig, hang up the wig of law, so to speak? Um, for was it because of the independence vote? What 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 was what was your rationale? Hey, independence push. So it was about two thousand and nine that I uh, decided to have a at the time it was to have a break from the law. I thought, but for for an SNP supporter, I'd got involved with the SNP, you know, way back actually at the tail end of been at school. Um, so, so I was like 16 or 17 when I joined. I'd always been a bit of a, a political anorak. Uh, but I'd never sort of any real intentions of, of, of making a career or a, a job out of it. But that was quite exciting because having joined at a time where there wasn't even a Scottish Parliament, the idea of independence was seen as a really sort of crazy, far-out idea. By 2008-2009, not only did you have a Scottish Parliament, you had the first SNP Scottish uh, government there uh, and they were doing or pushing through what I thought was a, a very progressive agenda and there was a, the, the prospect of an independence referendum happening so I thought this is an exciting time I want to, to, to be involved and play my part so I went uh, and, I, and I got an opportunity to work at, at Holyrood the Scottish Parliament um, supporting some of the MSPs there and from there I ended up um, been recruited to work in, on the Yes campaign uh, in 2014. So short of playing for Dundee United in Scotland at football, yeah. know, that would be like my dream job, yeah. you know, working for the Yes campaign. Um, but obviously we came up just short. Uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to do after that uh, and ended up uh, throwing my hat into to the ring and, and standing for election here. Did, um, what makes you think that the vote would be different this time round? I'm guessing you do think the vote would be different this time round. I'm op- why? I'm optimistic, take nothing for granted. Yeah. Know, we've still got work to do. Um, but you do definitely detect, just speaking to folk on the doorsteps, that there are folk who, in 2014, were not just no, but they weren't even willing to consider the idea. But this whole experience of, of, of Brexit, uh, the fact many of these people will be you know, pro-European, um, but even just the way that Scotland has been treated throughout this process 
has sort of opened their minds to the idea that you know this isn't acceptable anymore. We can do something different. Uh, so you know, the, the UK that they voted to be part of in, in twenty fourteen doesn't really exist anymore. It's it's become a sort of anti Europe. Some would say isola- isolationist uh, country, and they they are for the first time open to sort of thinking again about independence. So, e- even though the sort of opinion poll just show a sort of small swing towards the yes side, I think actually if you're to sort of look at it on a scale of one to ten, where folk at one or two are absolutely no, uh, and folk at nine or ten are definitely yes. There's lots of folk have gone from two and three to four and five, you know. So th- there's there's that sort of little switch. Do you ever get um? Do you ever get a lot of? Um, do you ever get a lot of? Uh, ever be aggression against you for being a, a nationalist? Um, on the doorstep, or is there any funny anecdotes from the doors? I don't get very much aggression. I have to say, uh, every you know, ninety percent of people will be civil to you, even if you know they're really not for the SNP and dislike us. They will say, "Not for me, thank you very much." And I'll just say, "No worries, sorry I've troubled you," and off I go. Um, but every campaign, you know, I had it a couple of weeks back, you know, somebody sort of using sweary words about politicians in general, you're all the same, uh, and you just have to grin and bear it and, and head on. The other day I was out in Colsaith and uh, somebody said, you don't knock on every door, you knock on certain doors, And but somebody had spotted me and, and I'd come out and said, uh, you with the SNP? And I said, yes. And he says, well, you're wasting your time here. And I said, oh God, here we go, we're going to get a, a tirade. Which actually then said... Uh, Everybody in this street votes SNP away in the uh, campaign somewhere where you're actually going to make a difference. So I was quite relieved and happy <laughs> to hear that yeah, unusually. Yeah. But, uh, do you do demographics? I don't know if I'm just listening to you talking there. Do you guys study demographics? Uh, a, a little bit. I mean... What, what would that come under as a, as a, as a, as a skill? Because demographics are important in, for, in all many ways, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are acutely aware and, and, and we know that the opinion polls will tell us that certain demographics are, are more for us and more uh, pro-independence than others. Which so, are, for the, just for the... First of all, sure. demographics are obviously... How would you define a demographic? Uh, so it's just a, the makeup of your population. So, you know, it, you can uh, the, you know, divide the population up in terms of uh, age, gender... Um, also, you know, uh, whether they're born in the UK or or whatever else. So just just what the makeup of your population essentially. Uh, so yeah, I mean, politicians do pay quite a lot of attention to to how their message is going down with different groups. Uh, we, we know that the SNP is more popular amongst younger age groups and older, as is the the, the independence argument as well. So if you looked at the result of the twenty fourteen referendum, broken down by age group, um, we won it. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure to say you need. To, Check that these figures are absolutely. No, I think, but I think I'm pretty right. sure we won it all the way up to sort of maybe fifty, where it became close, and then we lost pretty badly at over sort of yeah, sixty-five. I think that's, yeah, that is, no, that's definitely the case. Mm. Um, is there not an argument the older you get, the more? Because th- what that would suggest is would then be oh well, uh, as the youth gets older, we're therefore going to get independence. But is there not an argument that the older you get, the more you go from left to right, or? More conservative. I think more conservative with a small C is yeah, probably fair. Uh, if if you know if the status quo, if what exists just now is is fine for you, then perhaps you're a little bit less inclined to see the need for for change. Um, I think there's probably truth on both sides of that. I think you know my generation, for example, um, are probably among the first that were really 
the, the independent seemed not this f- far out crazy idea. It seemed a very sensible mainstream idea, perfectly reasonable one to have, and and you know we'll never lose that. Even if of course you know we'll get older and probably con- more conservative with small C compared to younger generations, but uh, un- unlike you know the, the current cohort of. Uh, people who are 75 and above or 65 and above who for most of their adulthood you know independence wasn't really seriously in the agenda uh, i think once your eyes are open to these arguments um you know, you're, you're not ever going to be have the same resistance as say uh, the current older generation has the um talking about the see just return to that memory thing is we're talking about demographics and studying mm. you have to do i've always been impressed with mps because i know may have sounded a wee bit earlier on as if you know, when they get a hard time for maybe not being trustworthy, and you were correct to point out, obviously about the, the no, 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 all of that, obviously. Mm. And I'm always so impressed by how, MPs, knowledge retention. Mm. How they do you do that? Like, how has how or do do you spend time in a, the way you would have done when you were at Edinburgh University? Mm-hmm. So do you study? Do you? Take policy. So a new policy comes out, and is there a thing whereby does it, this might be stupid? Does the SNP give you a test on the policy before you can go and talk about it? No, not a test as such. But I mean, we obviously have professional uh, people who are in charge of sort of dealing with the media and the press and so on. But on the whole, if I'm preparing for a debate, then yeah, I have to do reading, and you know, the, we have researchers that will help us with provide briefings for us the house of commons library is an amazing resource they can send you stuff that will help you prepare but it is one of the big challenges of the job because you in a way you're almost expected to know stuff about everything you know from foreign policy and what's going on in in, in countries far away right down to the details of domestic policy and the economy and and a whole range of subjects you tend to find that we all develop specialism. So, for example, I'm the, the party spokesperson at Westminster on subjects like immigration, immigration I believe. Uh, yep. Exactly. And then I'm also on the Home Affairs Committee. So I will pick up much more about that than, say, some of my colleagues who are maybe have expertise in social security or foreign policy or defence and things like that. So I would feel perfectly confident going into a debate tomorrow about immigration and asylum. But if I was told I had to take part in a debate or I wanted to take part in a debate on defence, I would be spending the whole night uh, sort of trying to swap up and prepare. You, you always have that. For the... That leads me on nicely to something I wanted to discuss with you. For immigrate, can you tell the youngsters um, and for anyone else out there that might not know, what's the difference between an immigrant and a refugee? Um. Okay, so... When we're talking about migrants, you're just talking about people who have, have, have moved from one country to another. So immigrants are people who have come into our country from another. Um, so one subgroup of that, so a subset of that, are refugees. And they have made that move for a particular reason. Uh, they are people who have left their country of origin because they are at risk of persecution or serious harm. And they are seeking refugee status or asylum in another country. The broader group of, of migrants will include people who have come here to study, to work, or just for family life, for example. And if you have refugee status mm-hmm. um, versus immigrant status, which is... As a... As a Hypothetically, you want to stay in this country. Uh-huh. However, there's a question mark over whether you can or not. Uh-huh. What state? What status stands up more? And with a refugee, if you're a refugee, does that status stand up more in court for staying in the country, or does does it an immigrant status? 
It all depends on, 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 on the facts and circumstances for the individual. Uh, at the end of the day, it's not easy to get uh, refugee status because you have to show, as I say, that um, the country, if you were returned to the country where you've come from, um, you would be at, at a serious risk of, of persecution. And that can be quite hard to prove sometimes. Uh, in terms of, 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 of migrants, Basically, it's up to the government to decide who's who's got the, the, the right to, to come here, who, who it is it wants to, to be able to come here. Um, so it, it sets immigration rules out and if you can qualify. Say, for example, you're from Brazil and you're married to a UK citizen. Currently, the government has set out rules that you must show that you earn certain amounts of money, um, that you have enough room in your house, various other things that you have a subsisting relationship in and, and so on. Uh, so it sets various tests that you have to pass. Um, so it, ju- it just depends on the individual what is individual and country you come from as well. well it will depend on the country you come from as well obviously if somebody comes here and uh, say they're from France there is almost no prospect of them ever getting refugee status because they aren't at risk of, of persecution in France but if they're coming from a war-torn country then it's a different state uh, you know, situation altogether they, they may well have a claim for asylum a Frenchman never go I'd like to do a case study if possible mm-hmm. on uh, talk about in the context of immigration and myth versus reality yeah I've got my own views on it however mm-hmm. they're not that I don't know it doesn't matter what my views are um, but the uh, I've got experience of Govan Hill which I believe is Nicola Sturdin's constituency I think you're right yes Nicola Sturdin's constituency so I lived in Govan Hill for a wee bit um, with my uh, now ex-girlfriend although mm-hmm. Also, well, we still got along well. Sure. Anyway, let's not go into that. Let's go, let's, uh, she's an Educamus tutor. She, <laughs> she's okay. a primary teacher. Sure. So she still, still tutors for Educamus. Um, however, to what... I mean, th- there's, a, there's, there's th- claims that are made about Govan Hill mm-hmm. and the people that live there, mm-hmm. um, which, are, to be honest, in, in history, mm-hmm. are tagged on to different groups of people. Yeah. Um, to what extent are they... Is it a myth or is it a reality? You know, things like, for example, I'd, I'd, I'd looked into a wee bit about this, but this child, child prostitution rings in Govan Hill and so mm. on. But they are, the police have investigated this mm. on numerous occasions and yeah. there's not really been anything found, is that right? As far as I know, uh, I'm not an expert on, on the specifics uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's fair to say that when it comes to the debate around uh, migration and, and refugees and so on, there have been for too long lots of myths peddled and lots of scaremongering and, and pretty much, you know, rhetoric that verges on sort of racism. Yeah. Uh, and some of it came to, to the fore, I think, during the, the Brexit referendum, there were some particularly dodgy uh, campaign posters and so on by I'd I'd blame Nigel Farage and, and uh you know his his party. Uh and and, and unfortunately that it, it it does influence public opinion when day in, day out certain newspapers are are publishing stories which are just absolutely rubbish. The facts at the end of the day are, particularly in Scotland, that uh, you know migration has been incredibly helpful for us. We actually face significant population challenges. Uh, if it wasn't for migration, our population would be going into decline. We also face a, a challenge in that our population is getting older. The number of older people, it's a good thing, uh, living longer. Uh, so the, the older population has grown significantly while the working age population is pretty much staying the same. So that means fewer folk to, to pay the taxes that we need to pay the pensions and look after yep. uh, older folks. So we desperately need 
Um, uh, migrants to continue to come here and one of the, the downsides of Brexit is that with an end to free movement of people uh, we're going to struggle to, uh, to make that happen Thanks very much for that answer the, uh, yeah I mean you can't stay, you can't there's no, there won't be any f- there won't be any data to back up that one group of people is more likely of committing a crime or, or no definitely not there isn't, is there? there's never no. been anything like that no absolutely so, not so that's, that's more into sociology and so on isn't yeah. it like that, is it? No, if you if you go down that route of stereotyping and you are going down the route towards racism, saying that because you are from a particular group or a particular country, you are more likely to yeah. commit a crime, you have to deal with individuals. If individuals commit a crime, then the police go after them, they arrest them, and they face the full force of law. But there's no room in in this country for stereotyping and yeah. certain nationalities are more likely than others to, yeah, to do certain things. Definitely. Not. Um, I know. I actually, I loved. Uh, I loved Governor. Mm-hmm. The multi the multicultural element of it. Sure. Um, but yeah, did you see? I don't know if you saw. What did you make of? Because a lot. One of the things I saw on Twitter today talking about Nicola Sturgeon and it being her constituency. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people. She's a great poll. She's a talking about impressive politicians. If she was in Westminster, you know, she's. She's very impressive, as is Angus, Angus yes. Blackford. Is that a Black- Ian Blackford, Ian Blackford. Was Angus Robertson, now Ian Blackford. Angus Robertson, sorry. Um, but, you know, she is impressive and she's, you know, I thought that leader's debate last week, mm-hmm. I actually thought it was Corbyn came first and then Sturgeon second, but I thought the two of them were mm-hmm. street side of the rest of them. Sure. However, having said that, I thought she, um, that was a bit of a tricky one last night with Andrew Neil. I haven't he, haven't seen it last night, but the I mean, Andrew Neil was a, a tough interviewer. And, oh, um, I could, yeah, I uh, could imagine it would be. I would just encourage folk to wait and see the interviews with all the different party leaders, and then see who who comes up. Oh, comes. so he's, she's, he's, he's yeah, did it. He's, she's the only one to have done it first. And there has been various sort of misrepresentations of certain things, including by the Prime Minister today, who made up just a complete lie when he was. Uh, Launching the the Conservative manifesto in Scotland, I think he was. It's not like him. No, yeah, well, indeed, uh, he's a bit like Donald Trump. Is is no stranger to sort of uh, telling the odd fib here or there. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get too sure. political. I'm I'm trying to keep yeah. uh, you know, especially as we allege Camus is obviously political certainly. But why do people vote for? Why do people? Um, no, because that's that's not fair. I suppose that line of question with regards sure. why people would vote for yeah. Trump. People yeah. like Trump and Johnson because the chances are, to all intents and purposes, that Trump's going to get in again. Yeah. Now, now, it's almost as if I mean he's been in, you know, calamity after calamity after. But yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting just how it works and why. It is, and it's it's quite scary in a way. You know, every one of his blatant lies, which you know, manifestly just can be shown to be a lie, uh, and all of his mistakes. You know, at the time they seem funny, but cumulatively, it's just disastrous. See, if 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 other presidents had had done the things that he's done, you know, they would have had to resign, or uh, they would have plummeted in the polls. Out, you know, sometimes from any one of them, never mind two or three of them. But day in day out, it, it, I don't know. He just has this core support, who seem to think he's their man and it doesn't matter what he does he could do anything and they're just going to stick with him which is worrying in a way but almost sort of like cult-like in a way yeah does um, 
I was I forgot my t- my train of thought. The other regards, no, I was I was saying here. I talk to the kids whenever I'm chatting them English about the idea of fake news as well. But it's I know just an era that fake news is becoming. What's it called? Post truth. The the era mm. of post truth. It's just an era that you live in that you don't have to tell the truth now. Uh, I hope we've not got to that stage yet, and I, I still think there is an extent to which if if we stand up and and say things which are wrong, you will be held to account. When you're debating things, you know, they're always grey areas and, you know, what, where the, where the border between opinion and, you know, verifiable untruths uh, is, is, is not always clear. Uh, but, but there are certainly challenges, you know, we live in an age of everyone has a voice on social media, via websites, whatever else, which can be enormously powerful, it can be a huge force for good by, you know, everyone is able to chip into the debate. But also, you know, in terms of misinformation and abuse, there are huge challenges there, which I think we've barely started to, to come to terms with. But yeah, I think that as you were talking about that, the entire they are always just going to be at the tip of the iceberg, but of it until there's regulation, I suppose. Did yeah. you see the Sasha Baron Cohen thing, LEG? Uh, when was gave, this? He, he, he was accepting an award um, for influencer or something, and, and uh, I can't even remember who it was that was giving him. It was just. Last week, very impressive. It was him talking as Sasha and Baron Cohen because mm. obviously he comes across yeah. as always a character. Sure. But it was a brilliant speech but talking mm. about the need for regulation on the internet. Yeah. And he was saying that if Facebook had been around in the 30s, Hitler would have been able to put 30 mm. second ads on. Sure. That's no. not right, is it? No, well, In terms I, of it's, yeah. not right that f- it's not right yeah. that that's, that's the truth. Yeah, and I think uh, that is definitely the direction of travel. It's something the, the, the committee that I was on, Home Affairs Committee, has been looking at. We've had the... Uh, the, the social media companies given evidence a few times. The focus about that was more in relation to online abuse, uh, and you know a number of politicians face terrible online abuse, really quite sickening stuff. Um, so that that was the angle we were coming at it. But I know other committees have been been looking. You know, the the cultural media and sport committee have had had these companies up as, as well, and uh, countries like Germany have taken steps to to pass legislation. Uh, and I think in, in the United Kingdom there's a consultation that's been going on about whether or not we need to, to follow suit and I suspect the answer is almost certainly that we do. Um, who's the most fa- just who's the most famous person you've met through would it be like in terms of through Parliament politically speaking? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, probably the most famous folk I've met, boringly enough, for other politicians. But uh, yeah, but so bo- I mean, do you, that's what I was kind of touching on earlier. Are you mm-hmm. like? Is the rivalry across the year because it can get quite heated mm. as we've seen recently? Sure. I mean, it was it was bad earlier on in the the year yeah. with regards to the mud slinging and so on. Yeah. But like you on first name terms with, you know, Boris or, or stuff like that. Or? No, they, I mean government ministers in particular, you hardly ever see around. Uh, you'll just see them at the other side of the chamber. But uh, you know, on committees, for example, you're on a cross party committee, yeah. so you've got people in on that committee from Conservative Party and the Labour Party. And, you know, I've always had a perfectly amicable and, and, and decent relationship with everybody on it. Even if I fundamentally disagree with, with somebody's views, there's absolutely no reason not that you can't be civil and, and get on with them and even enjoy a laugh now and again. Um, you know, it's like every, I suspect like every other workplace, if you have 650 people, um, you know, you'll get on with some, you'll really dislike others and it, it reflects the country as a whole, you know, the people that are in there. Um, but, you know... I don't get bogged down too much, I think, in, in sort of animosities just because somebody's in a different party. Yeah. I think you have to go beyond that. that um, I actually got an, an alternative take slightly uh, mm-hmm. on the Brexit. I think it shows democracy working. Mm. 
it, it shows, yes, I, in a way, yes. Because uh, it's, you know, if, if it was, for example, in simplistic terms, if we were, if, if, if our powers of, if the, the bicameral structure, and then you've got the legislature, which is separate from it, isn't it? That's right, isn't it? Two houses bicameral, then you've got the, the, the laws, the courts, which are independent, obviously, uh-huh. yeah. If it wasn't working, and if it was a dictatorship, or if, if there was, if there was an, an area that wasn't working, you know, um, they, it would have been re- a Brexit deal would have been railroaded through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's if it was a dictatorship is the point I'm making, but it's that the courts have stepped sure. in. It's been uh, it's certainly pushed uh, these institutions uh, and been a real challenge. You know, the obvious example was uh, the big debate we had about prorogation of parliament, which means basically yeah. when you shut it down. Uh, the government has a, the ability or, or, or the prerogative power uh, to close down Parliament for a couple of weeks if it's about to launch a new legislative programme. Yeah. Uh, and it was a huge controversy because uh, Boris Johnson obviously decided to shut it down for five weeks and this was in the build-up to one of the Brexit deadlines. So uh, our argument was that he was doing this to try and stop Parliament doing its job. And uh, I was one of the MPs who, who went off to court, uh, led by my colleague Joanna Cherry, and, and, and uh, ultimately the Supreme Court agreed and said uh, this was unlawful. Uh, Parliament should be uh, opened again so that parliamentarians can continue to ask questions. But yes, you know that, that shows that part of the system working. Um, I think it also shows some flaws in the Constitution as it is just now because I think uh, you know the government has far too much power in relation to, yeah. uh, to, to, to what it's able to do without really being accountable to anybody. I, pre- I really appreciate your time. I, do, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I really appreciate it. I, a couple of kind of light questions just to finish up. What's the best thing about it be, getting the Scotland's given or being Scottish? Eh... Uh... Out of the stuff that Scotland's given, things that spring to mind are whiskey. Right. Uh, I, I like a nice malt whiskey. Um, football. I really like to claim that we invented football, was that? I think the English are taking that. Ah, well, I think that's open to the It was not, it was No, because we took, we took Scotland to Argentina think, and Brazil. And I think the, yeah, that's true. I think they maybe put the formal rules around it, but we were playing it before, so we'll yeah. bring that one as well. Claim Scott, yep, claim football. Uh, football, whiskey. So also far we've got alcohol, we've got booze and football. football. Brilliant. Uh, some great writers, absolutely yeah. brilliant writers. Uh, oh, I don't know, there's so much you could say. I, I think uh, the best thing about being Scottish is I think we have uh, a good sense of humour and I think we have a decent sense of perspective. I don't think we take ourselves too seriously um, and we sort of, We've got room for our cultures and, and are happy to bounce off against them, but uh, yeah, it's a good country to, to live in. And finally, your Scottish hero. Oh, God, she's big, uh, big question, that Scottish hero. Currently, I'd have to say Andy Murray, um, maybe slightly predictable with that, but I just think uh, he's obviously reached the top of his, his game he was number one in the world and an amazingly uh, competitive sport and I just think he just come back to what I said there about being Scottish in, in a way epitomises that um, he's got a good sense of humour quite self-deprecating sometimes folk think he sort of comes across as quite grumpy but when, he, when he's sort of speaking and been interviewed he can be quite self-deprecating yeah. there's a, a nice sense of humour about him uh, doesn't take himself too seriously he's quite happy to have a laugh at his own expense so yeah I think he's, he's a good guy Stuart McDonald, I wish you all the very best um, on the 12th. Thank you very much. Uh, it's going to be a long night. I think we're having a 
we're going to have a beer and a party next door. Very good. So that'll be quite... And I think the old firm are playing in Europe that night in their last oh, group right, games. Oh, OK, yes. Last um, group games. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so very good luck. Thank where you. Are you be, where are you taking that in? Uh, so the count will be in Motherwell, so we'll head over to Motherwell, watch as the, the ballots are getting counted, and it gives you a wee idea of how things are going in, in different parts of the constituency. And then the result will be announced early morning, and uh, just head back and watch the rest. And a wee, a wee dram on Friday morning. A wee dram on Friday morning. <laughs> Thanks very much, Stuart. Thank you. This interview aims to inspire, motivate, enlighten, and of course educate the youth of today for the days of tomorrow.